I do not speak of all of you. I know the ones I have chosen. But it is that the scripture may be fulfilled. And he quotes Psalm 41.9 in regards to David having been betrayed by a friend. He who eats my bread has lifted up his heel against me. This in connection to why he said, I do not speak of all of you. In connection, of course, to verse 17, where he had said, If you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. I do not speak of all of you. In in this account, we will see the sad and moral corruption, the sadness and moral corruption of Judas, in whom he is speaking of. I know the ones I have chosen. And we remember and respect the fact that of context, chapter 13 through chapter 17, the focus of his ministry has gone away from the people, verses one, uh, chapter 1 through 12, to the people, and chapter 13 through 17, it is specific to the 12 chosen vessels known as the apostles of the Christ. I do not speak of all of you. I know the ones I have chosen. He is well aware and in control of whom it is he chooses. This is, of course, within the sphere and power of the Christ. And he quotes the scripture as the Christ would do. He who eats my bread has lifted up his heel against me. Again, in a dual uh, penmanship of the psalmist in regards to what David was having to deal with in his era. And also, of course, having a purpose now in Christ quoting for his experience and reception of betrayal through Judas. He who eats my bread. Judas was within the inner circle of friendship. He was a recipient of all the blessings that came following the Christ. Salvation, instruction, food, clothing, shelter, all of it both physical and spiritual. A man in whom which had been the... Uh, recipient of hospitality, given food in our house, participated in holidays, in religious feasts, in all the activities and warmth of friendship and family. Jesus was a man, and he is experiencing what man experiences when betrayal is taking place by someone 
we loved, by someone we cared for, by someone whom we practiced benevolence with, gave of our means, had part of our family, our inner circle. The Christ is indeed wise, quoting the psalmist. And perhaps some of us, if not most, will recognize this portion of Scripture very well. He who eats my bread, I have given you of my hospitality. David, of course, speaking of his betrayer in his age. (laughs) I loved you as a brother. And yet, you lift up your heel against me. You take advantage of me. You seek to harm me. Where does this come from? It's sourced, of course, in greed, in pride, in control, in jealousy. And we had seen the descriptive nature of the corrupt moral uh, mind of Judas in chapters leading to this moment. Because here now, Christ speaking, chapter 13 through 17, to his apostles, is specific to the final hours of his life. And imagine your final hours of life have to be met with such betrayal. It is deep and sorrowful and traumatic. From now on, verse 19, the Christ recorded words, From now on, I am telling you before it comes to pass, so that when it does occur, you may believe that I am he. Why would he say that? Why would the Christ reveal such words? The Bible would tell us in a rightly handled, well-orchestrated manner, Christ is always in control. And he needed his apostles to recognize that in him so that when the moment of betrayal and execution took place, they would be like, he knew it and he allowed it. If he had not spoken those words, it could have been a very real temptation to the apostles to think, well, he wasn't really the Messiah. He never saw this coming. How could he have been deceived? His enemies were wiser than he was. The ingenuity of his enemies had more intelligence to snare him We were following a fraud. We lose our faith. We drift away. So the Christ always in control, always mindful of what is to come, he tells them, from now on I am telling you before it comes to pass so that when it does occur, you may believe that I am he. He is deity, he is divine, he is God on earth. And he wants them to be fully aware that what is about to take place was permitted to take place. And that never at one time was man more powerful than God so as to deceive and snare him without his knowing. And the purpose is revealed in his word quite simply so that you may believe 
that I am he. Truly, truly, pay close attention, verse 20, I say to you, he who receives whomever I send receives me, and he who receives me receives him who sent me. In rightly handled fashion with Matthew 10, of course, and I believe verse 40-something or along those lines, 46 or 40, I forget now. But in regards, of course, to the path and purpose they would have in Christ. And isn't it interesting how in such brief words he gives them the bulk of it all. I must die. I'm allowing it to happen. You will go forward as representatives for me, my apostles. You will go forth into all the corners of the earth and proclaim the death, burial, resurrection, witness, and ascension of the Messiah. Now, at this very moment, of course, they could not grasp what he is saying in full form. They're like, what is he saying? But they would come to know that and believe that he is because he allowed it and that they would have great purpose for his cause of the gospel moving forward. Now, when Jesus had said this in verse uh, verse 21, he became troubled in spirit. Well, he's a human being. Most of us if not all of us who have been the recipients of betrayal from someone very near and dear to us do not see that betrayal until it takes place. For if we could see it before it takes place, we would avoid that moment to take place. But he knew what was going to happen For he knew the inner hearts of man, even though that fact be true, he kept Judas close and within the circle so as to have him change his heart and become faithful to the Messiah. And that goes to show the deep love of Christ and his patience. Bit of an excursion back to the immediate reason he is troubled, he is a man. He's experiencing what man experiences. He's about to die, and he's about to be betrayed by a close friend. We would be troubled also. Matter of fact, we are quite troubled just reading this account and knowing what he he went through. And some of us may be able to identify with that to a certain degree. When Jesus had said this, he became troubled in spirit and testified and said, Truly, truly, pay close attention to what I say to you, that one of you will betray me. It's almost surreal that someone so close would do that, and so it would be understandable how we would probably not fully grasp what he had just said. If you know he's going to betray you, and you know who the betrayer is, and then you say that, I mean, I don't... It wouldn't compute quite well. So the disciples began looking, verse 22, at one another, at a loss to know of which one he was speaking. What does he mean? 
So would we, I suppose, to a certain degree. What? That can't be right. There was reclining on Jesus' bosom, verse 23, one of his disciples whom Jesus loved. And of course, we have come to a position where this would be speaking of the writer, John. And we must understand the culture and day and how they were sitting at a table of about eight inches, I think, or something along those lines. And they would lean on their left and have their face close to one another at the table as they ate with their right and their legs would be stretched out in the back, if you will, and they kind of just made a design that would have been like in a U form. And so here is John in verse 23 reclining on Jesus' bosom on, and, and, and then we see here verse 24, Simon Peter gestured to him. So Peter's gesturing to John, kind of like maybe like a, a head nod of sorts, like, hey, hey, I, I, I want to I ask you something. So Peter gestures to John and says to John, tell us who it is of whom he is speaking. And what's Jesus saying? Who's he talking about? And remember, this is a circle taking place and there are conversations that not everyone at all times is paying attention. People are talking, people are... They, of course, of the account. So Simon Peter gestured to John and says to John, tell us of whom it is, uh, tell us who it is of whom he is speaking. And he, leaning back, verse 25, thus on Jesus' bosom, said to Jesus, Lord, who is it? So Peter's asking John. John's turning around and asking Jesus, like, what do you mean? Who are you talking of? Who is betraying? So Jesus then answered John. That is the one for whom I shall dip the morsel and give it to him. Dip a morsel, uh, it could be uh, uh, meat or bread or something along those lines. And in, 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 in this culture, it would have been like a, perhaps mashed up, uh, oh, what do we call it, dates and stuff like that, raisins, uh, like that kind of stuff. Dip it in there and eat. Sometimes you could dip it and pass it to your, to your friend next to you, like, here you go. Stuff like that. So Jesus says, that is the one for whom I shall dip the morsel and give to him. You want to know who? I'll show you who. So when he had dipped the morsel, he took and gave it to Judas. And here the description again, the son of Simon Iscariot. The serious nature of it. I knew I was always in deep trouble when mom and dad used my entire name. Stefan Hector Maye. Uh-oh. They've used all the names. <laughs> After the morsel, verse 27, Satan then entered into him. Therefore Jesus said to him, what you do, do it or do quickly. Again, we've looked into this. Judas did not lose his free will. He did not become possessed. He wanted to do it. And because he wanted to do it, God allowed it and permitted that influence to produce the uh, fruits of his corrupt act against the Christ. 
And friends, when we want to have a corrupt heart and when we want to practice corrupt things, the influence of the evil one certainly finds a nest within our heart, our mind. And this is indeed what took place with Judas. And this we saw when Jesus was honored to have the costly perfume upon him and Judas took offense. Remember, Judas is a greedy man. And he was in charge of the treasury. And he would pilfer the treasury. He would steal from the treasury. He was a corrupt-hearted individual. And so here, the Christ, well aware of that, says, what you do, do quickly. And yet again, we see the mercy of Christ and his love for this man. He could have, he, he, he receives another chance. Judas has another chance to say, you know what? I can't go through with this. I can't go through with this betrayal. It's not right. He could have repented. He could have changed. Oh, later on, he will feel remorse, not unto change, but under remorse. Now, no one, verse 28, of those reclining at the table knew for what purpose he had said this to him. I mean, he's the treasurer. Maybe Jesus is saying, hey, you know, go get something for us from the treasury. Go get this, go get that, do something along those lines. And it's quite interesting. For some were supposing in verse 29, because Judas had the money box, he's the treasurer, that Jesus was saying to him, buy the things we have need of for the feast. Or else that he should give something to the poor. Which is interesting because the Christ would have that authority and have done that before, very mindful of the poor, very mindful of the necessities for the assembly that would come from the treasury. So it must be something along those lines. Do it, do it quickly. Okay, so he's telling Judas to go get some of that stuff or to give to the poor or whatever. So after receiving the morsel, verse 30, he went out immediately. And it was night. He was not going to back off from, from this corrupt moment in his heart. He's not going to do it. And it had been building in him, this bitterness, this pride, this control, this greed, this jealousy. They were all blind to it. The red flags, they'd look the other way. Therefore, verse 31, when he had gone out, Jesus said, so here's Judas, he's gone now. Judas has went away. Now he says to the apostles who remained there, now is the Son of Man glorified and God is glorified in him. If God, verse 32, is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and will glorify him immediately. Speaking, of course, of the very moment coming soon where he will give his life for the redemption of mankind. Little children, he says in verse 33, I am with you a little while longer. You will seek me, and as I said to the Jews, now I also say to you. Remember, the ministry has changed from the crowds, chapter 1 through 12, to now very strictly to his apostles. You will seek me, and I, 
As I said to the Jews, now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. He has to go through a baptism that uh, no other man can go through. As God on earth being hung on a Roman tree. A new commandment, he says in verse 34, I give to you that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. He is going to lay down his life for the greater good of humanity's existence. And that is indeed the new pattern. It's nothing new as far as God's nature. And his law of old speaks of the same love. But now through the messianic age to be set forth as he will be crowned king of the kingdom. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another even as I have loved you. Well, how did Jesus love us. Well, he gave us his life. He died for us. If only Judas would have changed his mind and direction in life so as to tap into that love, that friendship, all those blessings. Some of us have experienced betrayal out there in the world prior to our conversion in Christ by those very close to us. And sadly, we've had to experience the same thing from those who call themselves brothers and sisters as Christians in the church who are close to us. If only they could see the corruption in their hearts to change, to recognize their slander and their lies and their deception and manipulation. If only they could see the corruption that they practice and their self-righteous hypocrisy. If only Judas could have tapped into this love. By this, he says in verse 35, all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. That's how we discern the difference between Diotrephes and Demetrius. That is how we discern the difference between the Pharisaical and the faithful. That is how we discern the difference between Judas and John, the writer of this gospel. Love for one another as Christ loved us. That means each and every one of us would lay down our life for the greater good of each and every one of us. Isn't that something powerful? That we'd love each other as Christ loved us in such a way? If only Judas would have humbled his heart to remain and learn and have that love and practice that love. So sad that a man would be so corrupted as to betray his best friend. By this all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. That's how we discern the difference 
in a faithful church from a non-faithful church. A faithful church loves each other, wants to make it to heaven, and wants to help us all make it to heaven together. And so we are patient with each other. We suffer long with each other. We are there for each other. We lay down our life for each other. And of course, Peter, in fashion of Peter's ways, verse 36, says to Jesus, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus answered, where I go, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow later. Christ has to die for the cause of the gospel, and of course, so will Peter one day. But Peter says to Jesus, verse 37, Lord, why can I not follow you right now? I will lay down my life for you. And you know that is quite, should I say, easier to say while in the church together. It would have been very easier for Peter to say that while with the apostles and with Jesus. And I'm certain he meant what he said at that very moment. But Jesus, again, knowing that Judas would betray him, would know that Peter would deny him. Your best friends. Peter says to him, How, Lord, why can I not follow you right now? I'll lay down my life for you. And Jesus answers him in verse 38, Will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, pay close attention to what I say to you, Peter. A rooster will not crow until you deny me three times. Imagine having... Imagine being Peter hearing that and still doing it. Do you know how many times we read words in this book that say do this or don't do that because God loves us and we do the very things the book says stay away from? <laughs> of course, Peter would come to have deep sorrow and repentance and change. Sadly, Judas, as we will see in the weeks coming, Lord willing, he will have remorse but he will rush headlong and burst wide open, as the text of uh, the book of Acts would reveal. Chapter 1, forget which verses. Jesus loved us so much, he went through these things knowing they would happen. <laughs> I don't know what argument we can use to reject him or neglect him or not follow him. He knew these things to take place. Two of his best friends, one was going to betray him and the other one was going to deny him, but yet still he's washing feet. Yet still he's speaking to them of their purpose. He's speaking to them of, of things that he knows. Uh, we will have to go through a great many things in life for the cause of the Christ. We will have to be the recipients of persecution. We will have to go through that sorrow. We will have to go through the sorrow of betrayal. And the very same things the Christ has gone through. And I assure you, once you go through those things, you read these words quite differently. They mean a whole lot more. And they hit home a whole lot harder. Through the Fulfillment of the gospel, as we reach our conclusion here, through the fulfillment of the gospel, which is happening within the text we are reading, of course, 
Um, it's important to know it had to take place and God was going to allow himself to go through that death because it would be through his death that we would have life. As Paul would so speak to his brethren in Rome, you need to die with Christ in order to be raised with him. If it would not be for the death, burial, resurrection, witness, and ascension of the Christ, we could not be found saved by him as we are immersed, plunged, dipped, clothed, submerged, baptized, calling on his name, raised with him to newness of life. Judas could have remained. He could have repented. He had the free will to do so. But he chose the wrong path. And he will suffer eternally for it now. It's so bad that Jesus even said it would have been better for him not even to be born. That's how bad of a betrayal. And how deep is that emotionally? For some of us who have gone through such a deep betrayal from those closest to us who we thought loved us, who we thought we loved, we loved them. And it's just a very traumatic thing to go through. And Jesus yet did it willfully and still showed this uh, Judas love. It's just hard to understand such a powerful love, but yet we must, we must believe and follow. The invitation always given to all who seek the salvation of Jesus Christ in the waters of baptism to be added to his church and his church only. Okay, that'll conclude this uh, sermon session. Lord willing, we'll move forward with chapter 14 next week. Let's move forward now with a song. <laughs>